Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles 102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs Welcome back into the House of Mystery and I'm Al Warren sitting at the controls and on the other side of the country in the Boston Boston Metro we have Mr. David North Martino Hey, Al. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I thought you were the exciting one today. You're supposed to be the one with the energy. Oh, great. I'm, I'm going to yeah. try to get this place rocking. Yeah. Get, get going. Yeah. <laughs> Do a shooter or something, man. Yeah. Need some energy. Well, we've got, we've got a great guest mm. today. We've got an author and um, another one that we got from Mickey, so it's creative. Should be uh, a good one. It looks like he's written a lot of books and he's got Quite the history. So, Mr. Edward Lerner, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Wow. Uh, you've got quite the background. So, you were a physicist and computer engineer uh, before right. you got into writing. Um, wow. Um, so, what, what made you change to get into writing? Well, there were two things going on. I got into it as a hobby back in the 80s. I was complaining about something I was reading. And my wife said, I suppose you could do better. So I had no choice. <laughs> okay. So that became a hobby. Um, after I continued in my career for a while and reached the point where I'd been at it for 30 years, as much as I enjoyed the techie stuff, I was ready to do something different. In 2004, I sold my second novel that I'd written as uh, a hobby. Selling two means the first one isn't a fluke. And at that point, I said, well, time to try it. Let's see what I can do with writing. 
and I have not looked back. How would you classify your writing? Like what, what would you call it if someone were just to ask you, what kind of writer are you? I do mainly science fiction and techno thrillers. Less often I do popular science. Uh, I try to stay faithful to that uh, scientific and engineering background. There's a subset of science fiction with the awful name hard science fiction. It doesn't mean it's difficult <laughs> to read. It means you try to pay attention to science. And that's what I write. That, does that cause a riff in the, uh, in the writing world, in, in science fiction and, and that area? Does, is there a split between the, the group? There is. Well, first of all, there's the uh, divide between science fiction and fantasy. So I have no dragons, vampires, or zombies. Within the science fiction side of things, there's a lesser split between what I'll call science fiction and science fantasy. A lot of people who write what they call science fiction basically wave their hands and just use a trope. You know, if uh, we could travel faster than light, what happens? It's sort of magical, and we'll just go with that. Uh, my kind of science fiction writer, uh, a lot of the time, just tries to avoid faster than light travel since we don't know how to do it. Uh, if we do use faster than light travel, then we put rules on it and we're pretty rigorous about, okay, if this could work, what are the implications? So you're absolutely right. There is this spectrum of uh, writers and whether they want rigor or just like uh, throwing aliens into their stories. So, so you're you're more into the um, kind of proven science, I guess we would say. That's about half my writing. Uh, in the so-called hard science fiction, there are a few ways you can do it. There are some people who stick with just science and engineering as we know it, nothing more advanced. Uh, the middle ground is reasonable extrapolations from what we know. And the final kind is, okay, let's use our imagination. Maybe there's one thing we uh, don't know how to do, but let's suppose it is. What would the implications be? I actually do all three. Hmm. Now, how? so you've got the background in the science, so that, that helps a lot, obviously. And um, you know how to research properly and, and get the information you need if you don't have it. So how do you decide on what kind of a story you're going to put through um, the, the science and, and the characters you're going to use for that story? One of the things I love about writing science fiction is if I get curious about a topic, it gives me focus. It's all well and good to say I'm interested in some subject and I'm going to study it on my own time. That doesn't really work. It's too unfocused. When I decide I'm interested in some kind of science or technology and how it might work and what its limitations are, and I put it into the framework of a story, then all of a sudden there are all manner of constraints. And uh, 
I wind up uh, focusing, digging more deeply into things. Uh, years ago, I did a book on uh, nanotechnology and how it could be applied in medicine. That's called Small Miracles, and it deals with tiny robots that could be injected into the bloodstream to help cure you from the inside. I learned so much biology working on that story. Uh, it, it was just a wonderful experience. And it wasn't just that I decided to study on my own. I reached out to biologists and doctors and neurologists and explained what I was doing. And about one in three uh, academic experts I reached out to was uh, delighted to help. That's a pretty consistent average, no matter what the topic is. Uh, Do you feel that uh, with the science and technology in the story, does the real world science ever get in the way of the plot or curtail the drama? And um, or, or do you think that, let's say, with readers of hard science fiction, that maybe they care more about the science than the characterization itself? I would not say it gets in the way, quite the opposite. Hmm. If uh, everything is possible, then life is too easy for the characters. Hmm. The characters have to worry about, well, where are the resources to do whatever it is? How fast can they get from where they are to where they need to be in the story? What can their opponents actually do? All of those constraints make the story realistic. Uh, it's absolutely true that uh, developing the story, sometimes uh, it becomes challenging to work around those constraints. And occasionally that leads to a little bit of rework. But uh, the bottom line is it's a more realistic story and I've made the characters work harder. To your second question, do the kind of folks who like uh, rigorous science in their stories, appreciate that kind of background. That's kind of the definition of that reader. Mm. And it's not just that uh, there are some science fiction readers like that. You know, there are lots of genres like that. If you're writing Westerns, your readers expect a, a certain amount of color about uh, the West. If yeah. you're uh, writing historicals, they expect all sorts of details about how people lived in whatever era you picked. So I think uh, a, a lot of depth in whatever makes a genre unique is what the readers of that genre are enjoying. That doesn't come at the expense of plot. It's in the addition. It's in addition to plot. Makes sense. Now, now you uh, just got a new book out here. Um, just, uh, just in May, it looks like May 25th. And, it's called Deja Doomed. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So what, what's the premise of this book? Okay, there are two premises. Uh, the more familiar one is that uh, the major powers of the world uh, are engaged in a space race, and that doesn't take too much imagination, not just because it happened to us in the 60s, but it's happening to us again. You know, the Russians have already said they're pulling out of the International Space Station in a few years. The Chinese just launched their own space station. The Chinese are already talking about going to the moon and to Mars. So 
Premise one is a new space race. Premise two is more science fictional, and it has to do with the question of, are we alone in the universe? There are lots of stories about different kinds of encounters with aliens, uh, first contacts or radio contacts um, or space opera like, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars. A less familiar version of this is archaeological contact. You know, the universe is a very big place. It's existed for billions of years. Maybe we haven't met any aliens because they're far away and they don't overlap with us in time. So in Deja Doomed, uh, the opening has to do with the discovery on the moon of a dead alien because the moon has a vacuum and uh, uh, bacteria aren't going to eat a body that's uh, flash frozen. That body could be millions of years old. We don't know. Uh, and what happens is the, uh, the American explorers on the moon and the Russian explorers on the moon uh, both want to find out uh, what's up with uh, the alien body that was there the presumption is there must be alien tech around and neither superpower wants the other to have exclusive access to alien super technology. Uh, so that's the setup. Wow. So, but if this um, happens on the moon, the far side, uh, dark side, as some people call it. Um, but I didn't think we'd ever really been to the moon. Isn't that just all? <laughs> 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 Don't even go there. <laughs> the Chinese have even landed uh, a robotic mission on uh, the far side. The United States has not done that yet. We've seen the far side by sending things in orbit around the moon. Yeah, yeah, but the Chinese are in on it, so. <laughs> oh. um, and, and the Russians. <laughs> you, but does does that bother you the way um, a lot of the mainstream society right now has kind of um, gone off the rails as far as science and achievements, you know, in the, in, especially in the recent five years or so? It does bug me how... Uh, anti-science, uh, a subset of the population is. And it's to everyone's detriment. Science has proven itself to be uh, one of the best tools humanity ever had to make sense of life and to improve our lives. And if you uh, distrust it and disbelieve it, you get things like out-of-control pandemics. Yeah, it's, it's certainly been interesting. Um... Uh, it could be science fiction. <laughs> um, do, do you ever... I wish it were fiction instead of real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a really bad movie, you know. Um, I wonder, but like, so you've got the science, and you you put a story in here. Is 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 there a subtext? Do you put something throughout the book? So if I I take home Deja Doomed and I read it, um, besides the story and some of the science knowledge I get from it. Um, is there a subtext or is there something you want me to, to get out of that book besides that? Okay. I'm not primarily a message author. I write mostly to entertain. To the extent there's a subtext, it's 
optimism, it's positivism, that uh, yes, the universe may throw us pretty messy problems. And uh, without spoilers, I can't tell you just how thorny the problem is that I throw at these characters. But uh, there are also ways out, and science and engineering offer those possibilities. So that would be the subtext. No dystopias so, for me. No, yeah, a little <laughs> bit more of a, a, a positive. Um, now, your characters, where do, you, where do you get your characters from? How do you create them? Are they from people you know, from, from seeing people somewhere in the coffee shop? Or um, where does that come from for you? It comes in two stages. The first stage is uh, figuring out what types of characters fit an evolving storyline. So if I'm going to set a story on the moon in the near future, only certain kinds of people are going to be there. I probably won't have a ballerina. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, but having picked the kinds of characters the story requires and the type that can credibly be there, which in this case are primarily engineers, scientists, astronomers, uh, medical specialists, then they have to flesh out those people. They have to have personalities and families and friends. And for that stage of the process, yes. Then people I know, people I've seen, people I've read about uh, get to lend themselves to uh, the characters I'm fleshing out. I, I wonder, do you, um, do you find it... Um a bit of a challenge to write because this, this is dealing, you're dealing with Russians and Americans and, and uh, a space story um, involving the moon. Uh, but do you have, is it a challenge nowadays with so much of the uh, political correctness to be worried or be very particular about your characters and, and uh, how you portray them? Well, so far I haven't, I've chosen not to worry about it, and I haven't gotten too much flack for any inadvertent sensitivity, insensitivity. Um, the space part of it certainly is not an issue. Um, no. I was a NASA contractor for seven years, so I have a reasonable amount of exposure to people at NASA and NASA contractors and how that sort of thing works. Uh, earlier in my career, uh, I hired a couple of Russian emigres who worked for me when I was a manager at Honeywell. And so uh, I have more than academic and uh, internet surfing as a, as a basis for fleshing out my Russian characters. Well, and if you work for NASA, then you're in on the conspiracy. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> No, you can't tell How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I kill you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one more thing about uh, one more thing about sensitivity and uh, being PC or not being PC. Uh, one of the main characters in Deja Doomed is uh, a wife of a guy on the moon, and she's a radio astronomer in her own right, and would have been on the moon by then, except she was pregnant. Um, and it's appropriate in. Uh, seeing things from her point of view to deal with some of her pregnancy symptoms. Not too long ago, I was talking to an emergency room doctor, a woman, and one of her favorite things about the book was how I treated the pregnancy. So hmm. at least that, on that point, I must have been sufficiently sensitive or realistic. <laughs> now, do you feel uh, the speed of innovation and technology today do you feel that it makes it harder to uh, stay one step ahead of current technology? And when you're writing a story, how do you know when to upgrade tech or phase it out when you're, I guess, ex extrapolating out into how life will be technologically in the future? It is a challenge. And the nearer term future a story is set, the riskier it is. Mm. Um. And uh, if you're really unlucky, your story is obsolete before it goes out the door. Mm. If your publisher is pokey, and that sometimes happens, and they take a year or two to publish, that can exacerbate the problem. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it uh, does occasionally happen that when a book is in the page proof stage, it's appropriate to do a little bit of tweaking. But yeah. uh, so far, I haven't had any major rework problems that way. 
Now, a colleague of mine um, had his first published story rendered entirely obsolete between when he sold it and when it went in print. Wow. How would you consider yourself, like, if, if, um, if you compared yourself to um, other writers in your category, who, who would you compare yourself to? Let's say um, Larry Niven, who I've written five books with, um, Robert J. Sawyer, Werner uh, Vinge, uh, David Brin. Uh, these are all guys who are also motivated to get uh, the science right, um, but who also do some far future extrapolation for a subset of their writing. And uh, there are also people who have very interesting to my taste characters in their books. Mm. So uh, now, who who influences you? Like, where do where do you draw your inspiration um, when you're writing? Okay, the people I just named for one. I don't just say I write similarly, but I feel that way because I know them and I read a lot of their stuff. I also should have mentioned Andy Weir, you know, best known for oh. The Martian. And a lot of uh, science fiction writing seems to be uh, a ping pong match between authors. Author one writes one sort of thing and that inspires author two to uh, rip off of that and author three riffs mm -hmm. off of the first two. So there's some of that going on, certainly. Outside of the genre, and I read a lot there, too, I read mysteries, I read uh, historical fiction, um, and an awful lot of science. And any of that can lead to a story idea. I like to say that a writer is never 100% off-duty. How did you begin writing uh, Larry Niven? Uh, Listeners would probably know him best for Ringworld. And uh, what's your process like in collaboration? Okay, and Ringworld relates to how we did wind up working together. Mm. Uh, Larry and I were on a panel together at a science fiction conference back in uh, 2004, I think it was. And the subject of the panel was my favorite planet. The, the shtick is each of the panelists is supposed to talk about some world, real or imaginary, that they would personally like to visit. When my turn mm. to talk came, I turned to Larry and said, Ringworld's a great book, but we only got a glimpse in passing in Ringworld to uh, another great uh, venue, the Fleet of Worlds, which is what it sounds like. It's a bunch of worlds in a constellation without a star flying through space. Mm. And readers only got a glimpse of this and never more than one of the aliens of that, those worlds at a time. And I told Larry, that's my favorite. I'd like to see more of that. You should write something. He uh, answered at the time, I don't have a story for that. I contacted mm contacted him soon afterwards and said, well, I do. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
we traded some ideas back and forth, and uh, that led to an agreement on a plot. And uh, we wrote a book, submitted it on spec, and uh, woohoo, we got a taker on that <laughs> and uh, on a sequel as it happened. Uh, and ultimately, we did five books. Okay, you also asked about the process. Yeah. Well, Larry describes working with me as a spectator sport, which is very <laughs> flattering, um, not entirely uh, fair to him. Okay, so the plots are indeed uh, mine. Once or twice, he said, no, I don't think my characters would behave this way. But mm -hmm. I was using a lot of his characters, his alien worlds, his uh, far future super science as the basis of these stories. So I would uh, develop a section of text, ship it off to him because we live on uh, opposite coasts. Uh, we would uh, trade markups back and forth until everyone was happy. Then I'd write the next section of the book. And uh, so it went. Interesting. So, so where do you see yourself going with, with this? Are you going to continue? Do you love it? Uh, are you going to ever change the, 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 let's say, the style of writing you're doing? Or I like to think change my style a little bit with every book. Uh, some authors, I feel, write uh, the same story over and over again. Yeah, it's different characters, but it's the same sort of basic outline. I don't want to do that. I try to challenge myself each time. Uh, will I run out of ways to do that? Uh, I suppose it's possible, but so far it, it hasn't been an issue. So I've done, I mentioned uh, a book with medical nanotechnology. I've done a lot of near future space adventures and far future space adventures. I've done time travel. Uh, I've done alternate history. Uh, there are an awful lot of variations. And so far, I think I've been able to keep it fresh. And that's my goal. Well, you could always add a pandemic to it, right? You know, <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that a, a thousand uh, fad chasing authors are out there writing their great pandemic novel even now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what bad luck if you had written one just before oh. it happened. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but that, that's interesting. But when when the world is crazy around you, like, let's say, the last few years, um, do, do you think it affects your writing? Does it does it get into your into your head and that you, you write maybe? Um, I don't know. I don't want to say negatively, but a little bit darker, maybe. I honestly don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it affects me, but it, it certainly isn't anything conscious or overt. Uh, it certainly has affected uh, my writing habits. Uh, I went through a period with uh, way too much doom scrolling, which probably uh, <laughs> put out the throughput. Yeah, they, I think a lot of people did that. That's why sort of a lot of writers we talked to, there's been ones that uh, it, it, it actually uh, had no impact on them at all. If anything, they wrote better. And uh, others that were concentrating on too much around them. So it's a, it sort of has an effect, right? You know? Yeah. The good news was I worked at home anyway, so. 
yeah, that's not much of a change for a lot of writers for sure. <laughs> yeah, right? Right. It's just it's just about the uh, what goes on outside their door, you know, and how people are acting and stuff like that. Um. So, what do you what? Who, go ahead. Who do you like um, besides writers and that uh, that inspire you? Like, so when we go out of outside of writing and people in this world uh, that you're in, um, is there other influences? Scientists and engineers, problem solvers. Uh, I mentioned that. Uh, I tend to be optimistic and I write stories in which no matter how bad things get, people are trying to work their way out of it. And that's what scientists and engineers do. I have not written a climate change themed novel yet. I suspect that'll happen at some point or other. Well, you're in on that too, aren't you? <laughs> oh, oh, my <laughs> other conspiracy? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I probably do emit some gas from time to time, but that's an yeah. awful lot of CO2. That's a lot. Yeah, you know, that's <laughs> ah, crazy. Um, well, yeah, so back to climate change. My point was going to be <laughs> I refuse to despair about climate change. Yeah, we've put too much CO2 in the atmosphere, and we're probably putting too much methane in the atmosphere. But stuff can change. Stuff can be fixed. There was a time we were putting chlorofluorocarbons into the atmosphere and destroying the ozone layer, and that problem was solved. It can be done. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, we have to look at things positively. Um, well, that's fantastic. So do you have a website of your own that people can come find you or if they are interested in following up and seeing some of your other books, um, where do they go? Okay, several places. And of course, they have a website. I mean, I'm a computer guy. So <laughs> shockingly, it's called edwardmlearner.com. Just spell learner correctly, L-E-R-N-E-R. -E uh, I'm on Facebook as Edward M. Learner. I'm on LinkedIn as Edward M. Learner. I blog at blog.edwardmlearner.com. And equally shocking, there's an Edward M. Lerner page on Amazon. Wow. You, you're just all over the place. Except uh, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, except for Twitter. I drew the line. <laughs> Twitter goes too far. <laughs> yeah, well. I write novels. 240 characters was just harsh. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's not that necessary anyway. So, you know. But we'll have that up on our website as well, so people listening can just do one click and find you, and uh, and uh, hopefully uh, you get good people. Does it? Do you like interacting with with readers and stuff like that, or does it? Or getting reviews and things like that? Does that sort of? Are you distant from that, or does that kind of? Are you involved with that? I do like it. I appreciate it. Writing is inherently a solitary task. And so getting feedback, uh, especially from readers, uh, is wonderful. And that happens through, you know, comments to blog posts or reviews on Amazon or Goodreads. Uh, there's a contact email address on my website, of course, uh, or uh, messaging on Facebook. That's all good. I enjoy it. I appreciate it. 
What's your what's your blog about? It's called SF and Nonsense. The uh, URL is blog.edwardmlearner.com. Wow. Um, you're, do you talk about your books or science or what do you, what's, what's it about? Okay. Well, I certainly announce books there. Um, I talk about science and engineering. Um, in the last year or so, I haven't uh, blogged as much. I think I got blogged out because uh, I've been doing it for uh, close to 10 years. So uh, I haven't done too much there except for book announcements, but these things go in cycles and I suspect I'll get, I'll get back to it. You know, I was just wondering, um, you know, we were just talking about Twitter and uh, <laughs> very, very uh, short word counts. I was just wondering, since you're primarily a novelist, but I, I know you've done some short fiction. Do you, do you gravitate towards novels? Is it harder to write in, in the shorter form? Is it something that you really enjoy doing or how does that work for you? I've written at a lot of lengths, everything from flash fiction, which is defined as a thousand words or less, to multi-novel series. And mm. I don't have an exact count, but I probably have 60 or so uh, short fiction credits. Um, I think the shortest published story I have is three, 400 words. It's a, a different skill when you're working at uh, flash fiction, you uh, agonize over every word. I mean, you want to think about mm. your word choice in a novel too, but uh, it's not as important. And certainly when I'm writing short fiction, there's a, a step I call the death to adverb stage, uh, doing away with all the unnecessary modifiers. Mm. But uh, I continue to write uh, short fiction. I've had uh, an arc of, uh, of novelettes and uh, a novella that's been running in the Granville Gazette uh, last year and this year, which is an entirely different kind of alien encounter story. In uh, that story arc, a bunch of unfortunate aliens on a cruise ship have their uh, ship suffer uh, a terrible accident and the ship uh, limps to uh, the fringes of our solar system and their only hope of survival is if the primitive humans can do something for them. <laughs> um, eventually, I think uh, that collection of stories will be big enough that I will expand them and integrate them into another novel. Wow. Wow. Well, you're certainly um, an intelligent author, I guess. <laughs> We're not used to that. Um, well, <laughs> we, th <laughs> we thank you for being on the show and this is it's been really interesting and uh the guest we're talking to is edward m Lerner, and his latest book is deja doomed thank you for being here my pleasure thanks edward to find out more about our show guests or to listen to past shows from our archive please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com show is over for now was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. 
This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.